Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Do rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Find people who are helpful. Find people to be around you. We are social, we are, we're social creatures. God made us to be social. And we need people around us who can empathize with us and go through it with us. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. We are bringing you part two of a very personal and powerful teaching today on Practical Christian Living on grief. We hope if you are in the midst of grieving right now or you know someone who is, that you will stay with us as Pastor Robert shares on his own personal grief, hope, and how to comfort others with the sensitivity and love of Jesus. Here's more from this special teaching out of John chapter 11. Now let's take a look at what the Bible has to say about grief. I'm going to give you these kind of in rapid fire, so take some notes or revisit this teaching and, and, and get these. Number one, we must go through grief. You have to go through it. You can't go around it. You can't escape it. You can't sidestep it. You've got to embrace it. You've got to go into the darkness and go through it in order to move forward. Matthew 5, 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When we mourn, we know that comfort is on its way. Luke 6.21 says, Blessed are those who weep now. They will laugh. We know that laughter is on its way. Number two, God is with us in our grief. Isaiah 53.4 says, Surely He has borne our grief and our sorrow. I think that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus became so sorrowful He wanted to die. He was carrying our sorrow and our grief. Not that we wouldn't feel it, but he allows it to us to, to he shares in us with his, our grief so it doesn't crush us. My youngest son said to me after his mom died, grief is like a monster. And if I let it, it would destroy me. Jesus carried it so it won't destroy us. Psalms 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted. When you are brokenhearted, God is close to you. He's near to you. Psalms 23, 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God is with us in the valley of the shadow of death. I can tell you of so many strange things that happened when Lisa was sick. I had somebody tell me, I'm so sick of the devil taking people's lives. And I had to tell them, it's not like that. God was everywhere in her sickness, everywhere in her death. So evident we would, get to, we would say to each other on the way to the hospital or, or on the way to the doctor's office, I have that strange peace again. I think it's going to be bad news. And there would be just this strange peace when this bad news was given to us. He was with us in the valley of the shadow of death. The Bible says the death of his saints are precious in his eyes. Psalms 56, 8 says... You number my wanderings. You put my tears into a bottle. Are they not in your book? He keeps a record of our grief. He is so close to it. He helps us when we are grieving. Psalms 30, 11 says, You have turned my mourning to dancing. He will take our mourning. He will bring us through the process and He will turn our mourning into dancing. He will put off my sackcloth and He will clothe me with gladness. Moving from the grieving into the dancing and the grieving into the gladness is the natural way it happens, but you have to go through it. 
your grieving will end. Revelation 21.4 says there will be no more grieving. Romans 8.18 says that the things of this world cannot be compared to the glory of eternity. And Proverbs 35 says his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I can tell you that I had a year and a half long dark night. But it, it lifted and joy came in the morning. What do you do when you're grieving? The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Talk honestly with God. We'll see that Mary and Martha both do that. Tell him how you're feeling. I would add, try to be respectful. <laughs> but God can handle anything. I'm so thankful with that when I told God, I don't think you love me, that God didn't judge me at that moment. God knew what I was facing and going through. Number two, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Find people who are helpful. Find people to be around you. We are social, we're social creatures. God made us to be social. And we need people around us who can empathize with us and go through it with us. People that aren't going to say things that are just like, like after two or three weeks. Someone said, I don't understand why you're still sad. She's in heaven. Well, I'm not grieving because she's in heaven. Oh, she's in the presence of God. How awful. She's there with Jesus. How horrible. I'm grieving because I miss her. I wouldn't see her again for a long time. And that was just a great grief to me. And we say things that are like, wow. Instead of just weeping with them and, and letting your speech be seasoned with salt. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says that we are to comfort people with the comfort that we've been comforted with. And I found great comfort after services when people would come up to me and say, I lost my, my wife the same week you lost Lisa. We could talk about what we were going through. Those who would say 11 years ago, I lost my wife and I just want you to know I know what you're going through and I'm praying for you. There's great comfort in that. We comfort with the comfort we've been comforted with. I believe I can comfort people more now in grief because I know. People will say that to me. They'll start talking about how they feel and they go, you know. And I, yeah, I know, I know. I do. We had Jeremy Camp who came and was at our, our resurrection celebration the year after Lisa died. And um, I usually meet the artist and kind of just see, say hi to them. If we have them a few times, I may develop a relationship with them a little bit. But he wanted to see me. He wanted to sit down with me. When I sat down with him, he began to talk to me about his loss of his wife and comforting me in my loss. And I found that conversation of a high-profile person. I'm nowhere near as high-profile as Jeremy Camp is. But my grief was very public, and his was very public. And we were able to talk on those levels. And he was able to give me some advice on what would be good things to do and not do. And we can comfort those who are comforted. Finally, the Bible tells us that we will be reunited with our loved ones. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says we, there will be a resurrection. John 11, which we're covering today, we see a preview as God brings two grieving sisters back together again with their brother who had died four days before and was decaying. It's a preview of what we're going to have. Now, let's look at the passage. This will be the fastest little covering of a passage I've ever done. So when Jesus came, he found that he... This is verse 17, John chapter 11. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. 
Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. So it's four days after the death and still people are around them comforting them. This is the biblical way to do it. Both Old and New Testament tell us that. Being around people that understand us, that grieve with us, that comfort us, that's good. Being people like Job's comforters, bad. Job said to his friends, miserable comforters are you all. (laughs) Then Martha, as soon as she heard it, that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary was sitting in the house. And so here we see the importance of knowing God is with us in the middle of it and telling God how we're feeling. She went to Jesus. Martha, verse 21, said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. I said things like that. Those are things that we say. Why did you let this happen? Couldn't you have stopped it? Why did she have to die? We say the same kind of things. You can say anything to God. I would add, try to be respectful. But God is very tender towards us because we have a broken heart and he knows we're sharing our real feelings. God's big enough to handle the things you say. And then in verse 22, she, she kind of maybe felt kind of how, that, how bad that sounded. Lord, if you'd have been here, she wouldn't have accusation. He wouldn't have died. So in verse 22, but even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. She didn't let the grief break her faith. And that happens. People have such grief that it destroys their faith. And she says, I know that anything you ask will be done now. She, didn't, she wasn't saying that Lazarus would be risen from the dead because in her mind he had decayed for four days and he would have to overcome the decaying process. He had to heal the decaying process when he raised him from the dead. And in her mind that couldn't be done. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. A well-placed scripture. Not a machine gun. I'm going to go in there and just let him know all the things the Bible has to say about it. Boom, 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 boom. That's annoying. It's also annoying to give a sermon to someone who's in grief. Just go ahead and tell you what's what's going on and just just be with them. A well-placed scripture can be rich and powerful. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. She said, I I have that hope. I know I'll see him again. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now that is the seventh I am. And I planned on covering all seven of the I am's today, but I, I won't. We'll do that another time. But Jesus has seven I am statements in the book of John. I am the door. I am is one of them. And here I am the resurrection. I am the bread of life. And then he says to her, do you believe this? It's not just enough to know that Jesus is the resurrection, but do you believe it? And he said that to Martha. And she said, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Christ, the son who is to come into the world. The foretold Messiah, I believe that you are him. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister. The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now, Jesus had not yet gone into town, but was in the place where Martha met him. And the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, following her saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. And when Mary came to where Jesus was, And saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. 
Same thing Martha said, same accusation, but it's a little different because she's at his feet. See, every time we see Mary, she's at his feet learning from him. She's at his feet anointing him with oil. And now she's at his feet in his, her grief. Being healthy before we face grief spiritually helps us afterwards. Now, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. Now, some people say that this word, well, this word groaned is a horse's snort, the Greek word, a horse's snort. So they make a big deal out of that and they say, well, Jesus was angry here. He was, um, he was angry at sin. He was angry at doubt. He was angry at death. And so he snorted. Mm, I don't know. I kind of think that Jesus was entering into that empathy. Jesus had the, the capability to be empathetic as well. Let me say that coherently. <laughs> Jesus had the ability to be empathetic as well. And when he was groaned and troubled in his spirit, I think he was joining into their grief. And he said to them, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Why did he cry? Because he's giving us an example of how we treat people who are, are, are grieving. We embrace them. We tell them how sorry we are that they're going through this. And we cry with them as Jesus did. You know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, we know. Then the Jews said, see how we loved him. Then they said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have saved him from dying? Which is the same questions we have. These people are going through the same thing that we go through. Then Jesus, again, groaning in himself, he's groaning all the way to the tomb, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lie against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by now there is a stench for he has been dead for four days. Martha has heard Jesus give commands, have seen people follow them, and has seen the power of that. We have pointed out in our Jesus encounters that Jesus, when he healed people, just told them to do something. He didn't say, be healed. He didn't pray to be healed. He said to the ten lepers, go and show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says, in their going, they were healed. And so now he tells her to do something, remove the stone. And she, I have an objection to that. He's going to stink. It's a true objection. It's going gonna, it's gonna to stink. But when Jesus tells you to do something, do you have your objection? I, I hear it all the time. Jesus says to forgive. And you, I, 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 can't, I can't forgive. You don't, you know, you're supposed to, you got to love people. I can't love. There's unlovable people around here. He gives us commands and we have our objections and we miss out on so much. Listen to how Jesus responded to her when she refused and had an objection. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? If you believe, you're going to see the power of God and his commands in scripture if you are willing to do them. This is a whole another sermon, by the way. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was laying and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. He wanted us to know that he was in concert with the Father. The Father and the Son have brought us the resurrection. And this is a preview. This is a dead man who was decayed. And now, verse 43, and when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It must have startled people. They rolled the stone away. Maybe some of them were even covering their faces. 
And Jesus suddenly cries out. It was so opposite of the mystics, of the religions that have little incantations to try to do miracles. They whisper under their breath. And Jesus wanted to know there's none of that. There's nothing mystical here. By every preacher who ever, has ever taught on this passage has said to us, he had to use the name Lazarus because if he didn't, he would empty out the graveyard. And that's true. If you've ever been to the Mount of Olives, you know there are graves everywhere. And it would have, it would have been, I think Skip Heitzig said, it would have been the night of the living dead. And Lazarus comes out and he's in his grave clothes. And when the, the dead man came forth bound hand and foot in his grave clothes. Now, what a humiliating way to be resurrected. I mean, he healed the decaying body, gave him back his life and called him forth. And Lazarus doesn't get, doesn't get to walk out with some kind of entrance. I'm here. Jesus, he doesn't get to do that. He wakes up, he's dead. And he wakes up and he thinks, what's that smell? And he's bound hand and foot and he's got to wiggle off the slab. And then he's got to wiggle out of the tomb because Jesus gave him the command to. And everybody's watching this. And Jesus says, go and unwrap him. Go and loose him, let him go. And so everybody goes up and Mary and Martha and they unwrap their brother and they hug him and they kiss him and they are reunited with him. And as it were, this is what will happen to every one of us. I know we're not going to literally unwrap them in their grave clothes, but as it were, there will be this incredible reuniting. This is an incredible reuniting of two grieving sisters with their dead brother, and we will have this incredible reuniting with those who we love, and it will be every bit as fantastic. Now, I just want to come to the end of this and say, I've seen people get stuck in grief. We have a family member who lost his wife a couple of years ago and he's never allowed himself to even begin to, to heal. I'm not saying that he should be through it yet, but I'm simply saying that what he's doing isn't healthy. Be, be sure you don't distract yourself. Be sure you don't get stuck in one of these stages because people do get stuck in them. And they never come out and go through it. And God wants us to come out and go through it. This is... This is an experience in life that we've been given help with and how it should look and how it should happen. We've been given scriptures. Let's go through it healthy. And let's be the, be the right kind of person to come alongside of people. There will be another study that I will do on how to help people who are grieving. There's some more specific things that I, I haven't talked about. But I, I really hope that this has helped you, that you would be able to come alongside of those who are grieving and help them. And I hope that as you face grieving in the future, because we all will, unless Jesus comes back tomorrow, we're going to face grieving, that we would be a little bit more ready for what it is. I know it may not help in the middle of the darkness, but you would know what I'm going through is natural. And you wouldn't let people try to guilt you out of going through it. Putting on a happy face so people stop saying, when are you going to get over this? That's not your job. Your job isn't to make them happy. Your job is to help them through this. And they'll get through it on their own time. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that we have this passage 
with these two grieving sisters and Jesus's interaction with them. We thank you that you can speak to us in such a powerful and incredible way through it. We pray that you would meet us in our grief and we pray you would help us as we are around those who are grieving. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a couple of minutes. I'd also like to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. We'll dismiss you here momentarily, I promise. But if you're here today and you have never given your life to Christ, you've got to be deliberate about it. You've got to receive him. You've got to invite him in. You must be born again, Jesus said. He stands at the door and he knocks. And when you hear him knock, you have to open the door and invite him in. And if you don't open the door and invite him in, then he won't come in. You have the choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Anyone here who doesn't know the Lord can call out upon him and be saved. God's got a plan. God's got a call. God's got a purpose. God will forgive your sins. He'll do a work inside of you. He'll, he'll, he'll allow you to do what you were created to do. You were created to know him. And he's got a plan, a purpose, a cause for your life. And for those of you that have made a commitment in the past and then you walked away, maybe because Christianity was different than what you expected. Maybe now you got a better perspective. You know what to expect. Maybe because you got distracted by the world, the cares and the worries of this world, the desire to make money. Maybe just downright sin. You just wanted to be involved in sin, so you just walked away from God. But now it's time to come back. You're a prodigal. You're a prodigal son, you're a prodigal daughter. Jesus says, I'm going after the prodigals. I'm going to leave the 99, I'm going to go after the one. The only time we see God running in the Bible is when he runs to his prodigal son and he fell on his neck and he wept that his son had returned. That's how God feels about you as a prodigal. He will bring you back and not as a second class Christian. And I was a prodigal for a year and God came and got me. He made all of the circumstances happen to bring me back. And when I got close and it looked like I wasn't going to do it, God did even more. He even went another step. My best friend got saved. He didn't even know that I knew what getting saved was. When he told me, go to church, I got saved. I'm like, shut up. (laughs) So the Lord can bring you back today. And if you're here with every head bowed and every eye closed and you want to receive the Lord as your Savior or you want to come back to Him tonight, then I'm going to ask you just to simply raise your hand. Lift your hand up now and lift it up high so I can see it. God bless you, ma'am, by the doors. God bless you back over here, sir. That's great. Just raise your hand. God bless you, sir. God bless you in the back there, sir. That's great. Here just to my left, sir. That's fantastic. Anyone else? I'm not going to go on and on. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. If God is calling you back or calling you, don't harden your heart against him today. For today is the day of salvation. God bless you. That's great. All right. Scan the room one more time. All right. You can put your hands down. And I would like everyone, including those who raised their hands, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I have sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. 
Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Welcome back. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.